Hey, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. What's up? (laughs) I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also a speaker, author, and founder of the Speaking School for Women, which is an online training program for women who want to become professional speakers. This show, the Claim the Stage podcast, is for courageous, kick-ass women who want to become better speakers on stage. And I teach how to do this through interviews, through some of my own advice and experiences, through talking to really awesome people, and maybe someday a miniature donkey will stop by. And I hope that the more I say that, the more, you know, I'm attracting miniature donkeys to my podcast studio. The Clay on the Stage podcast is now sponsored by McNally Communications. You can say it better. They'll show you how. You can find them at McNallyCommunications.com. And our other sponsor is Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. They developed an app that makes networking really easy, and you can find them at NameNetWorth.com. Today's show is going to be so amazing. Okay, here's what happened. I found out about this amazing woman, Donna Brooks, who actually lives right near me and does this really cool work called embodiment. And today she's going to teach us how to practice embodiment while speaking on stage. And I have to admit, I didn't know anything about this. It just sounded really cool. So you'll, you can tell as I'm interviewing her that I'm sort of just learning along with you. So I hope you enjoy that. And before we get into the interview, I wanted to share a personal story Recently, I was at my dad's house, and he gave me this box. It was actually a Pampers box from, like, 1975, and he said, here, this is a bunch of your stuff. It was up in the attic. I didn't really go through it, but, you know, it looks like it might be fun for you to look through. So I brought it home, and this weekend I looked through <laughs> all the folders, and it was really all schoolwork from first grade to about sixth grade, and I found the, a couple stories I had written, so I thought I would share a couple on the podcast because obviously you want to hear these. <laughs> and the first one I'm going to share is from 1989. I was eight years old. Actually, I think I was seven. I was seven or eight, and here goes. It's called The Forgetful Clown. Once there was a clown, he was very clumsy, and one day he got fired, and a year later, he got a letter from his boss saying, Dear clumsy clown, you may come back. Please write back. He was so happy, he jumped up and down, and then he got in his car, and the car would not go. He tried pushing it, but it would not go. He pushed it again, and it went down the street, and it smashed into another car. The end. (laughs) So many twists and turns on that story. It's like clumsy clown is really clumsy. (laughs) I see where he got his name. I'll share another story at the end of my interview with Donna. (laughs) So without further ado, my interview with Donna Brooks. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Donna Brooks. Donna is an expert yoga therapist and somatic movement educator who has hit upon some tools that make speaking easier and better for her clients. Her passion is helping people become embodied, which basically means living from your actual experience rather than from your head. This simple but not always easy act frees passion and energy while giving you more ability to connect authentically with your audience. This sounds so fascinating to me. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is so exciting. 
usually when I have guests on the show, I have some sort of background in what they're talking about because we're usually just talking about public speaking. But in your case, I don't have any background (laughs) in what we're talking about today. So I'm going to be learning right along with our audience. And I think that's really exciting. So I thought, yeah, that's great. Yeah. To get started, it would be great if you could tell us a bit about your background and how you got into this type of work. Well, I guess there's kind of two two tracks here. I started off being a yoga teacher in 1981. So you can imagine that um, I was kind of ahead on of the curve about yoga. And I had been a dancer when I was in college. So the kind of staticness of yoga never made sense to me. So I started delving into this field of somatics. Uh, which has a lot to do with embodiment because it really means unwinding and knowing and creating balance from your body from the inside rather than the outside. So, you know, if you go to a yoga class or a ballet class, there's a lot of attention brought to adjusting your technique or your form. And while that has its place, the, um, the approach that I take is really about you feeling from the inside what creates harmony and balance in your own body. So I've worked a lot with um, postural adjustment and movement changes from that premise. That's really what my main work is. But um, I've always had a pretty pleasant and easy time speaking in public. And um, a few years ago, I was just asked to give a presentation on what it is that I think I do that makes speaking so natural for me and so um, easy to connect with my audience and get my point across. And I realized that the principles that I've been practicing through movement work and somatic work, embodiment work, are really what informs the public speaking. Wow. So a lot of this was just following your own experience and what you were looking for that could enhance your experience in your life and also in the work you were doing. Well, definitely, um, you know, what is that marching to the beat of my own drummer was an important part of everything I did. But the idea of being embodied, it, it sounds so simple, you know, get out of your head and be in your body, but there's a whole world, a whole universe inside our bodies. And once you start paying attention to what's happening in your body, in some ways you don't, really even know what you're going to encounter. There's a lot of surprises. There are a lot of um, sensations, feelings, capabilities that you didn't know that you had. So part of this is paying attention to what's happening in your body. And um, to do that, you have to have a combination of curiosity and uh, kind of non-judgmentalness about your own experience. So it's not as simple as just sort of flowing with your internal experience. It's also having some compassion and objectivity to that experience. Okay, this is very exciting to me because I just found out like two years ago that I have a body (laughs) because for the longest time I was always just like (laughs) treating my body like this thing that moved my head around. And every so often I would exercise and I would do things that would to some people would mean, yes, you have a body, but I didn't, I wasn't even really aware of my body. So I'm, I'm really excited to dig into how to be more familiar with what's going on in there. But I thought a good place to start would be for you to give a a clear definition of what embodiment is and maybe help us relate it to something else that we know really well. And what is embodied public speaking? Well, 
Okay. And first I want to say, I just want to say something about you not noting, knowing that you had a body <laughs> a few years ago. It's, it's kind of like we think that there's a dichotomy, your head or your body. But the truth is our brains and our executive functioning and all of that is sort of the icing on the cake of our body. And there's a lot of intelligence that happens developmentally and happens in normal everyday life that sets the stage for the right use and the good use of our brain. So I just wanted to, to say that. Yeah. And it's, it's um, an interesting thing to try to define embodiment. And the closest thing that I've come to is that it's an internal perceiving and feeling or acting from what you're experiencing rather than from your mind. So the um, common thing we can all relate to is, let's say, you have a kid and your kid's about to go into traffic and without even thinking, you grab that kid's arm and pull the kid back onto the sidewalk. You haven't even thought about it. It's almost more like an instinct. So that's one kind of example of embodiment. Um, another example of embodiment might be that you take a hike up a, up a steep hill and you get to the top of the hill and there's the most beautiful sunset. And without, you have to excuse me to have a bit of a cold, so that's why I'm, oh, no I have a little sore throat. <laughs> um, you get to the top of the hill and you see this magnificent sunset and without thinking about it, your hand goes to your heart and all of a sudden you realize your hand's touching your heart. And you didn't plan that. It just kind of happened. Hmm. Well, what's an example so of embodied are, public speaking? An example of embodied public speaking is that I'm standing in front of my audience and I, you know, I have a sense of what I want to say, but I'm not feeling my audience connect to me. So I'm willing to let my words, the words I was planning go by the wayside and start feeling what my language needs to be to connect with that audience. Hmm. And this is very interesting because one of the, the premises that I work with is that language is alive. So in any moment, really, um, we're creating a fresh experience of language. And it's kind of like if you think of the color red, but then someone walks in and they have this stunning red that is quite unlike other reds you've seen, you have an enhanced definition of the word red. When you're on stage and you're giving a mm -hmm. speech, how, what's the feeling like that tells you you're not making a connection with the audience? It feels in me, um, that's a good question, actually. I feel a little, like, stuck. You know, I just kind of feel like, yeah, something's not flowing right. And, I mean, you can see, too. You can look out at your audience and, I mean, you know, there, there are always going to be some people that are distracted or bored because that's just the nature of life. But, you know, they should really be kind of far and few in between. So if I notice that, I know I'm not making connection. And for me, if I'm in my head 
thinking a lot about what I'm going to say, what my points are, how can I get them across. I can't feel my audience. And even though we're talking about speaking, I experience speaking, and I think when you're embodied, you experience also not just what's happening in your own personal body, but you're experiencing your body in relationship. So there is this whole communication going on between an audience and a speaker. And the old model is that the speaker stands up and delivers their message to this receptive audience. And I think that's really a fallacy. I think that if you are really present and embodied, you, are, you have a certain amount of awareness of what's connecting and what's not connecting. And your audience is sharing that with you. So it's still a dialogue, even if they're not talking to you. And you have to find the words that fit this particular audience in this particular moment. And some of those words will be familiar and things that you usually say, and some will be fresh and new because you're in this embodied experience of communicating with your audience. Well, this sounds like a really useful skill to master when you're on stage so that (laughs) you're, yeah, you're in the moment, you're present with the people who are sitting in front of you and you're able to have this dance with them. But my question is, what if you're still new to speaking and you're, you're a bundle of nerves and all you can feel is fear and you feel like you're going to throw up? How do you also embody or have embodiment or, or practice embodiment well, when all that's going on? Well, that's a great doorway. That fear is a great doorway because, um, you know, sometimes things go on in our body and they're kind of like underneath the radar and we're not even really aware But when you're in fear, you're really aware of what's going on in your body. So actually, the fear can be quite a profound doorway into embodiment. And and I also want to say embodiment also has to do with presence. So I think we've all seen speakers that have just a magnetism or a charisma. And I think that oftentimes that comes from their ability to be embodied in such a way that their presence really shines through. Yeah, I agree. And they can be in fear. I don't think that fear negates embodiment or presence. As a matter of fact, fear gives you so much emotion, so much charge, that if you can allow that to be there, accept it, let it be part of what your experience it's a, is, it's a really quick way to bring you into embodied public speaking. Okay, that's really interesting to me because I wonder what that actually looks like to st- to say to yourself, I'm going to accept this fear. I'm going to live in this 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 feeling. How do mm-hmm. you do that? <laughs> you this is what we've done in workshops and what I do in classes with people or private lessons with people is it's a little bit of a muscle. It's learning to accept the fear as an ex- Experience and not judge it and not try to push it away. Hmm. So if and I've... once you accept the fear as an experience, you don't, um, your mind doesn't get involved with it. It's just, it becomes more like a sensation that can move in and out of your foreground and background. Okay. 
So let's say I've accepted the fear and now I'm about to get on stage and give a speech. I'm standing in front of my audience and I still feel a ton of fear and everyone looks, everyone's smiling at me. They're all making eye contact. I feel like I'm supposed to do something that's going to entertain them or impress them. And my mind goes blank. <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you recommend in those moments in terms of like being able to embody that? Kind of. Well, that's a tricky thing because once you feel like you have to entertain the audience or give something to the audience, you're taking yourself out of your embodiment. Mm. Because to stay in your embodiment, the question is, well, what is going to serve my rhythm and my flow right now? So ultimately, yes, of course, you want to give your audience what you're there for. But in order to do that, you have to be the best that you can be. So it might mean that you have to drink a little water before you start. It might mean that um, you walk across the stage a little bit. It might mean that you just take a few moments and breaths to glance out at your audience. And if you come back into your body, it doesn't, it's like your mind won't go blank. You'll calm down and you'll know what to say. That does feel really good. As you were answering the question, I was like, okay, I could do that. <laughs> if I, if I, I don't feel like I have to entertain people, but instead just see what comes up and then re let that out and, and make that yeah. the, the starting point. It's very stressful to yeah. have to entertain your audience. It's like a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I talked with um, Lane Longfellow, or I, sh I should be completely honest here and say my ex-husband spoke with him. And he was a very um, well-paid speaker at the time. He was on, he did those tapes for like an old cassette company, Nightingale Koenig Corporation. And he had a heart attack. And he talked about how the heart attack was so related to how much he felt he had to put out, motivate, entertain, and juice his audience. Mm -hmm. And... At that point in his career, because he had had this heart attack, he was starting to question, well, how can I continue to be a speaker and do the kind of yogic calming he was needing to do for his heart while he was speaking? Hmm. And, and that was able to, he was able to sort of follow this method? In that order was, to... yeah. I mean, I, I lost track of him. I can't he, you know, I don't know ultimately what he decided, but I thought that the question was life-saving for him, clearly. Hmm. So if you're a speaker and you're in full embodiment, what does that feel like to your audience? How do they know? My experience of that is my audience is happy and they're relieved and it's playful, it's lighter. Um, there's less of a feeling in the audience like they are under the stress of having to sit and listen. Hmm. I think it also encourages audience per, uh, participation if you want to take questions. And my experience with this is that my audience doesn't have to try to kind of remember everything I say or really intellectually grasp everything I say, they can get it also on a more body level themselves. 
so it's easier and there's a lighter feeling for them. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about practicing things like eye contact and how to use your arms effectively to tell a story and how to use the space so that you're, you know, able to accent different points by moving forward or back. Do you think that's something speakers should be working on or do you think they should be moving entirely from embodiment? I think embodiment comes first. And then, you know, if you have a person who really can't make eye contact, see the embodiment will like let you express the naturalness of yourself. So if you're embodied and the eye contact shows up, that's great. And if you're practicing embodiment and you're still noticing, mm, I can't do it. I, I lose, I go back up into my head as soon as I try to make eye contact with someone, then sure, of course, if there are some specific exercises that can help you bring ease to that, I think that's wonderful. Um, I think that it's, it's often, um, for me, I can only speak for me, is that I notice training a lot and how people impose things on their bodies. And I find it a source of irritation when someone's putting something on as a, a means of trying to engage me. Hmm. Um, so I personally don't care for it as a technique and I can see it as appropriate in certain situations. I see. What do you think about improv as it relates to embodiment? Do you think they're similar? I think improv is fantastic, yes, because any kind of improv, you know, acting improv, movement improv, it's it makes you have to get out of your thinking really quickly and drop into your instinct. Definitely. Yeah. Do you think do you think speakers should also train in improv as a way to help them with embodiment? Totally. I think improv is great. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different approaches to it, and definitely some improv is a little bit more mental than other improv, you know, where you're holding a lot of constructs while you're creating a skit. But, um, yeah, I think improv is fantastic. Now, how is embodiment related to your presence and your brand? Well, the thing is that embodiment is like living the fullness of your incarnated experience. Oh, embodiment is like, oh, it's that moment when you, you know, you've been camping out or something or you're on a boat and you get up in the morning and you just feel so like rich and full of life in yourself. And I think that a brand, a personal brand, has to have that taste, that flavor, that ambiance of who we are as individuals. Mm. Without that, it's not, it's, it doesn't really give our audience the fullness of what we can offer them and express to them. How do you recommend and, people find that? Well, I like the work that I do a lot, um, which is in the field of somatics, where you're just bringing your attention into different layers and elements of your experience in your body through different movement explorations. 
But I certainly think that um, you can definitely do it with improv and acting tools. I think that you can do it through um, journaling is another wonderful technique for people to really peel away the layers of their mind and feel who they are. I've noticed that um, some people actually get to it a lot through sports. And I think the important thing is that you don't see any of these exercises as, or these explorations as things that are separate that you just do. I think you have to realize that any of these things are immersions into life. And if you can be immersed in life fully in a curious way without judging it, you're developing embodiment. And as you develop embodiment, your presence just grows. That sounds so beautiful and also so hard. <laughs> the the judgment but it's piece. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually really fun. Do you find I mean, that, the hardest things probably yeah, go ahead. Do you find that once you're immersed in and say you're hiking and you have that moment of just feeling so good and so present and like everything is just feels easy. Once you get to that point, is there then another level of depth you can attempt because you have allowed that to happen? Do you notice that? Well, I would say that embodiment in moments, things are easy for sure, but there are also really hard things in embodiment. And I think that depth often comes just like we know that oftentimes people who have experienced and overcome really difficult situations in their lives have more depth them them it's like that in our bodies too so going back to that fear maybe you're really embodied and you're actually feeling a lot of fear while you're on stage being with that fear and allowing that to be part of what animates you as you communicate is a depth Hmm. in your own experience and in what you're sharing with your audience do you find that the more you accept the fear the less it shows up as time goes on? Yeah, absolutely. You have to accept it. And, um, well, you don't have to, but if you want to kind of conquer it, that's, to my knowledge and understanding, that is by far the best way you're going to deal with fear, is by accepting it. And I remember years ago, um, listening to Tony Robbins, and he talked about if you don't label fear as fear, you will feel it in your body as excitement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really true. Huh. So I, I, this is such an interesting topic to me, this this topic of fear, because it comes up all the time in my work and working with women who want to be speakers. So if you are, are able to accept the fear and over time you start to feel like it's less and less, do you think that the fear is actually getting smaller or do you think you're just getting more comfortable with the feeling so you don't feel as overtaken by it? Hmm, That's an interesting question. I think, I think it's kind of both. I think that you get more comfortable as we accept any kind of, um, you know, dominant emotion without juicing it, you know? So you want to accept it, but you don't want to dwell on it either. So you don't want to try to push it away and suppress it. Like, oh, no, I'm not feeling fear, you know. 
oh, I'm just going to keep breathing and the fear will go away. You don't want to get all <laughs> tense about pushing it away. Yeah. But you also don't want to keep it in your mind. Mm-hmm. You just want to, it's kind of like, um, you know, a kindergarten teacher. I don't know why I'm having all these children analogies today, but they're just coming out. It's kind of maybe because I'm talking to women. I don't know. <laughs> um, it's like a kindergarten teacher. You know, it's like she's got a lot of kids to pay attention to. So if one kid is having an upset, she can't give it give that child all her attention. She has to just kind of like acknowledge the child a little, you know, maybe give them a little pat, a little smile and go on with what else is happening in the classroom. Hmm. And that's what you need to do with fear. And I think we both become more comfortable with having fear because we don't have to fight it. And also it doesn't have to take over our whole, you know, range of everything that we're experiencing. And I also think that fear has less drive to assert itself when we treat it that way. Yeah, definitely. So if someone was starting out with this new mindset, of how to get on stage and how to be with their audience. Could you give her the first three or four steps she should take from, you know, the day before her speech so she can start to plan and get prepared in her body up to actually being on stage and how to, you know, practice embodiment while speaking? Yeah, well, I think that what I've noticed is that going too much over the technicalities of your speech for many people, not for everyone, but for many people, it's a source of stress. There's this idea that if I really can remember it perfectly, I'll be fine. So I lean towards don't think about remembering everything perfectly. Think about the main points you want to convey but the feeling you want to convey Mm. and the feeling you want to be in while you're talking, not that you have to force that feeling, but just to remember that. So that can be part of your lived embodied experience. And I would say leading up to a talk, it's good to just practice checking in with yourself and just noticing what you're feeling. And for most people, When you say, what are you feeling? They go to emotions and emotions are part of what we're feeling. And they're really important to include, but it might be like, oh, I'm feeling thirsty or I'm feeling tired or I'm feeling um, like my stomach's empty. So those are important things too. And you could also ask yourself when you're asking yourself, what am I feeling? You can also ask yourself, what am I needing? Hmm. So you're feeling, and why you're asking yourself what you're needing is because you don't want to abandon yourself on stage. And that's what happens a lot, is that we're taught, and I would say culturally programmed, to forget about ourselves and focus on the work. And the work is, you know, getting the message out there. And in that getting the message out there, that's where we really separate the head from the body. You know, often people will come off stage and they'll say, you know, like even if it was positive, they'll say that was like such a rush, but now I feel so exhausted or 
oh my god i didn't realize how hungry i was out there yeah because you lose your body so you have to practice not losing your body and one of the ways you can practice that is just by asking yourself okay what do i need what are some examples of things you might need just to make sure that we're kind of understanding the question Water. You might need water. <laughs> right. You know, you might need to call a friend. You might be feeling like you got to talk something out. Mm-hmm. You might feel like, um, all of a sudden you might feel like, oh, yeah, like I don't like that. I all of a sudden have this awareness. I don't like when those lights are right on top of my head. I need to call the venue and say, can you shut the lights right above me off or turn them? Hmm. You know, we don't have to conform to everything about the place where we're going. We can really look around and see, like, what's going to support me being with myself while I'm talking. You just made me remember that whenever I speak in a room that has dim lighting, I'm always happier and a much better presenter because I feel relaxed. Mm -hmm. But when I'm in a room with bright white fluorescent lights over me, I feel like I'm like in you know i'm i'm like in the fbi spotlight and, and i can't relax so that's a great point to to make lighting changes so that you can be in your in your body more and not abandon yourself lighting changes air changes mm-hmm. see i watch i watch thought song teachers and comedians <laughs> <laughs> because they really both groups of those people if people aren't familiar with the word satsang just kind of like spiritual teachers, like, um, you know, a popular one that's very effective speaking-wise is Byron Katie. Oh, yeah. She's amazing on stage, you know. Or um, for a long time I watched this woman, Gangaji, who really could hold big space with her audiences. And then comedians. And, you know, comedians are like, I mean, they are on the front line of rejection because the audience has really no obligation to be nice to them. Hmm. So, (laughs) you know, and what I notice about these people, these groups of people, is that they know what's going to work for them. And comedians, for instance, they move around a lot when they're delivering, even if it's not part of the skit. They're adjusting themselves in their bodies often, moving to different places in the stage making little movements with their hands or their legs, keeping a rhythm often. And one of the things that we have this sort of notion about speakers, I think it's like from the 40s and 50s, is that you're standing at a lectern and you're still and you're just using your voice. Um, For some people, that could be the ticket. But for how many of us do we need a little sway? Do we need a little stepping? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Definitely. Do you do you and think calls to Yeah, go ahead. Do you think this is um trial and error where you could get up on stage and say, Today I'm gonna try using the whole stage walking back and forth and see how that feels and then if I like it I'll do it again? Or do you think it's more of that what you were saying earlier of asking yourself the question, what do I need? Yeah, I think it's less thinking and more just giving yourself the space to feel mm-hmm. hmm. it's like really what am I feeling you know and it, it doesn't even have to be that mental it can be just um, I mean you can definitely ask the question and it can be really informative but sometimes it's just 
I'm aware of a feeling. Like I'll be standing and I'll just um, be aware of a feeling of interest from one side of the room. And I'll, that'll, you know, add to my spark. Mm-hmm. So I'll take in that interest and I'll maybe, you know, give an added little smile there and throw out a word that I think they'll be interested in. And, oh, it catches, you know, and then I can sort of bring that energy into the rest of the room. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's it's a relationship Yeah. with your audience. Like a dance. It's a total dance. It's a total dance. And to be a good dancer, you have to be in your own experience. Mm. If you're thinking about the steps or you're thinking about what the other person is doing in the dance, you lose track of being a dancer. Wow. So let me make sure I have this right. If I'm on stage and I'm, I'm trying to check and see if I'm, you know, experiencing embodiment correctly, it should feel like flow or ease, right? Is that what you would describe it, it as? It should feel like flow. It's not always ease because sometimes difficult things might arise, you know, like a feeling of fear or a feeling of dehydration. <laughs> but, but the thing is that what feels easy is your ability to take care of yourself in that. So it's kind of like, oh, fear, you know, pat it on the head a little bit. Turn your attention back to what you were saying. Need some water? Guess what? It's not the worst thing in the world if you just say, excuse me, I need a glass of water. Could someone get me a glass of water? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often drink water on stage because my mouth just always gets dry after speaking for 20 or 30 minutes. And I do, I drink water at times when it's not distracting to the audience. Like I'll ask them a question. And then when they're speaking, I'll drink while they're talking or I'll drink while they're working on something. And I've never Mm -hmm. had someone come up to me and say, I'm really disappointed that you're drinking water during that presentation. Although it is discouraged when you're on stage because it's not considered professional or something that you're supposed to do while you're speaking. Well, yes, and that's, I mean, maybe that's why I've been a bit underground with this is because there are rules about being a professional speaker. And I guess in my life, um, many of the people who I've enjoyed their presentation and they're speaking the most, they don't follow those rules. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And we tend to think like, well, if you get really popular or you make it to the top, then you don't have to follow the rules anymore. Mm-hmm. But we don't think, okay, what's more important, the rules or if I'm taking care of myself, if I'm letting my presence flow out, and if I'm making a genuine connection with people who are here to listen to me. Yeah, I agree. I don't think anyone wants to see a robot on stage. I don't think anyone's going to say, wow, that person's drinking water. I mean, who does she think she is? <laughs> it just no, seems like, not. yeah, you're dealing with a human being. So, <laughs> all right, let's jump into our lightning round. We have five quick questions. Okay. The first question is, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? I think to really focus on cultivating a sense of presence through your embodiment. Mm-hmm. And number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I was thinking about that. That's an interesting question. I think my personal operating philosophy is that 
I have to be immersed in life and I have to be real. And if I'm doing those two things, life's going to work out. Hmm. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Oh, not to worry, just to, you know, be chill. (laughs) Don't sweat the small stuff. Don't mentalize things. Just play and it'll work itself out. Number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? I have no idea. I really don't know what I could tell a 75-year-old at all. (laughs) And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? All right. I'm going to pick something that I got from a coach years ago, which is moon glow. What's that? Because that's like a signal for ease to me that my energy can be like the glow of the moon. So I don't have to generate a lot. It just can can radiate out. Oh, I like it. Lastly, I like it too. It's helpful. <laughs> yeah. What does it mean to you to claim the stage? Um, what it means to me to claim the stage is that I'm so happy to be in my experience sharing what I'm on that stage to share that I feel it's joyful for people to watch me and hear me and participate with me because they're picking up on my joy and, and cycling that back to me. I love it. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience? Any upcoming offers or events? Yes. If you go to my website, which is originalbodywisdom.com, you can sign up for a teleclass where we will do exercises that would help any and all of your listeners practice being embodied public speakers. And I'm going to offer that teleclass, I believe, on January 20th, and it is 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And again, my website is originalbodywisdom.com because your original wisdom resides in your body. Sounds good. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Donna. I learned so much and I can't wait to try embodiment next time I speak. Oh, cool. Yeah. Let me know what you discover. I will. Absolutely. Thanks. You're welcome. Take good care. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. My interview with Donna Brooks. What did you think? Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating it and leaving a review if you are listening on iTunes. It's super simple and it only takes a minute. Your review will help more people to find the show. And if you're not already on my mailing list, be sure to go on over to AngelaLucier.us to sign up and you'll get information on special offers, public speaking tips, and updates I only share via email. Thanks again to our sponsors, McNally Communications at McNallyCommunications.com and Name Networth at NameNetworth.com. And as promised, here is my second story. This one was written in December of 1988. I was seven It's a short one, so be sure to listen. Once there was a mouse in Santa's shop, and a big pile of toys fell on him. He broke his leg. The end. That's it for me, folks. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.